Hello, TSF family. We wanted to start off by saying thank you. Thank you for listening to this podcast and for your hard work to love yourself more and for your feedback. Can you believe it's been three years that we've been doing this spiritual fix and it has been such a beautiful labor of love for Anna and me. We have loved doing this work. We've loved hearing from you and we love exploring ourselves and each other alongside our listeners. We wanted to put out the call for three ways that you can help support us to support you. One, we would love you to leave us a review on iTunes or follow us on Spotify. Two, drop us an email and let us know how much the podcast means to you. And three, you can donate monthly or even just once to our PayPal patronage. Every little bit helps and we are so grateful to those of you who have donated already. Thank you. You help make this podcast possible. Thanks, y'all. You can go to our website, www.thisspiritualfix.com for information on how to pledge as well as to email us. Hello, TSF family, and welcome to episode eight of season six, where today we are interviewing the renowned author, Neil Donald Walsh. Enjoy. This spiritual fix. Two mystical mamas hacking the self-help game. With Anna Stromquist and Christina Wilson. Neil Donald Walsh has written 40 books on contemporary spirituality and its practical application in everyday life, including nine books in the Conversation with God series, seven of which made the New York Times bestseller list. Book one remained on that list for 134 weeks. His titles have been translated into 37 languages and have been read by millions of people around the world. Enjoy our interview with Neil Donald Walsh. Hello, Christina. Hello, Anna. And welcome to Neil Donald Walsh to the show. We're so excited to have you here. Thank you. It's lovely to be here with both of you. How can I serve the moment? Well, we've got some questions for you, especially for our listeners who have never read your work, your books before. You wrote Conversations with God. I believe it was it published in 2000, the oh, first? No, 1995. 1995. It was one of the first spiritual books I ever read. I think I was like 16 or 17 when I found it. So like 96, 97. And it was kind of my first introduction to, in a way, Vedantism. It's kind of about, you know, the book, you in the book, for anyone who hasn't read it, you Neil start or Mr. Walsh, I should say. Are, no, are... no, 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 no. Neil was just fine. Either Neil, Neil or, fine. Your, or your highness. <laughs> your highness, your royal highness, Neil. I think you were writing an angry letter to God, but then the pen kind of jiggled in your hand and it wrote back and, and it's a beautiful, it became a three-part book series about you talking to God. And, and for someone like me who had, who I grew up in the Jewish religion, but I had a lot of questions unanswered and I had a lot of feelings about God that that were a lot more loving than the way I was taught in the in the Torah and and you and it was like everything you were writing made so much sense and in a, in a nutshell I would say it was basically showing how we are we are but God's dream dreaming himself kind of thing and uh, what would you say is the is 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 conversations with God in a nutshell that that probably was a really bad <laughs> summary. Well, but, I, I think in a nutshell, I would say that uh, the conversations with God experience is a dialogue between God and all of humanity. That's number one. Yeah. It was never intended for me. It was never intended to be just for me alone. It was an experience I was having privately. It was a very private, sacred experience that I never, ever, ever dreamed anyone would ever read in you know, my handwritten notes that I was taking down on a yellow legal pad. But uh, as it turned out, it's wound up being read by millions, multi-millions of people in in uh, 37 languages. Um, but uh, what I would describe it as is a, a communication uh, from life about life. It's uh, there, there is, I think, an essence in life that that people call God or the divine or the higher power that's continually communicating to us about 
who we are, why we're here, and, and what's true about all of life. And um, it tends to, I almost want to say, this is a strong word to use, but it tends to debunk much of what we were told about God, whether we grew up in the Jewish faith or the Catholic faith, or we were the Buddhist as a child or Muslim or you know whatever, because most of the world's religions and faith traditions, and by the way, there are 4,223 faith traditions now being practiced on the planet. Not, I don't mean from the beginning of time, I mean in this day and age. Wow. Over 4,200 faith traditions now being practiced. And most of those faith traditions say something about God that is not found anywhere in the conversations with God material. Most of those faith traditions tell us about a God who is mean, who is cruel, who is actually killing, who tells us to kill other people who don't believe the way God wants us to believe, or who tells us that if it's not about killing other people, at the very least, if we don't believe in God the way we're supposed to believe in God, we're going to hell. And we'll be suffering everlasting damnation. That's what I was taught as a child. Believe it or not, I'm a nine-year-old innocent child, and I'm being taught of a God who will send me to everlasting damnation if I don't believe in God in a certain particular way. So when I had my conversation with God, I began asking questions. Can any of this be true? Is that really who you are? And the answer that I got was no. It's, it's all a story that human beings made up for various reasons and and not all of them nefarious, you know, most of the religions of the world mean well, they're simply incomplete. You know, I, I was told that we are kind of like children who have learned uh, to add and subtract, you know, like we do when we're in the second, third grade, we learn how to add and subtract, and we think that's all there is to mathematics, because we've learned how to add and subtract, and only when we grow up do we realize, oh, I see, there's algebra. Oh, oh, there's geometry. Oh, there's trigonometry. Oh, oh, there's higher math. In other words, there's more going on here than meets the eye. So now I see that the same is true of our religions. Religions bring us much wisdom. There's enormous wisdom in, in the Torah, in, in the Bible, in, in other books of the Bible, in the in the Quran, in the Bhagavad Gita, in there's much, much wisdom in all of the holy books of all the world's religions. But they're incomplete. They 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 don't have they don't tell the whole story. And because they are incomplete, they create a false impression of who and what God is. To say nothing about a false impression of who and what we are and why we're here, why we're living. Got to be very careful. You asked me a 30-second question, and I'm going to give you a two-and-a-half-hour answer. <laughs> it's perfect. It's wonderful. Thank you. Um, what is coming to me is, is the question is, you know, after that first moment, like after, you know, you wrote down on your yellow legal pad, how did that change you in the course of your life, like after that moment when that first happened? Well, it caused me to believe firmly in the existence of, of the highest power. That's number one. And it allowed me to trust that this so-called higher power, that you know, and I've given that higher power the name God, it, it, it's caused me to trust in God and to realize, as I said a minute ago, that there's more going on here than meets the eye. It's also because of the content of the 3,000 pages of dialogue that I have experienced. Because of that content, it's caused me to see the role that I have been invited by life itself to play in the expression, in the experience of who I really am, in my, in my true identity. So I've come to understand that I and all sentient beings in the cosmos have been given power, power placed within me as part of the essence of who I am, the power to impact and to create 
my own personal reality. It, it, it popularly called, now these days they call that metaphysics. But when I went, again, when I was a child, nobody told me about metaphysics. Nobody even said to me, Neil, as you think, so will it be done unto you? Nobody dared tell me anything as, as uh, dramatic as that when I was eight or nine years old. Only as I got to be an older person did, did I receive that message. I read a wonderful book um, when I was a young man, around 22 or 23 years old, um, titled As a Man Thinketh. And it was a wonderful, wonderful book uh, that made it clear to me that our minds are powerful creators of our day-to-day -day individual and collective reality. Uh, uh, the saddest part about that, uh, Christina and Anna, is that our collective reality worldwide is a mess. It's crazy because of our collective mental be uh, collection of beliefs, our, our understandings. We said we don't understand who we are and why we're here. Most most people believe that if God is going to talk to us, it already would have happened thousands of years ago in their religious but textbooks. It, but, it, but it did happen. But it did happen thousands <laughs> of years ago. Yeah. Um, how? I guess. I guess if they're ready for it, they're ready for it. But what? What's what's the key that could help open the door to for people to realize that God is talking to us now? I think to listen to our own experience. What would open us to an understanding that God is talking to us now would be to open ourselves to and to recognize our own experience. In other words, this is what I observe. God is communicating with all of us all the time. Most people are simply calling it something else because it allows them to get away with it. You know, they don't want to be marginalized. They don't want to be ridiculed. They don't want to be sent to the seventh floor of the hospital or the psychiatric ward. So so they call it, you know, yeah, well, um, women's intuition or an epiphany or a sudden insight. They, they find whatever words they can find for the exact same experience that I had. I simply called it a conversation with God, and they're calling it something else. Coincidence, serendipity, as I said, women's intuition. You ask somebody, how did you know that? I don't know. I just, just call it women's intuition. I call it a conversation with God. That happens not only to women, but to men as well. well men's your, intuition. Yours was a lot more clear, I would say. <laughs> well, no, well it, it, it might be more clear. I mean, it's a relative term. But there are some people who've had moments of great insight. I mean, it couldn't have been more clear than that. That's that than some of the insights that have been brought to us by other human beings who have not called them conversations with God. They've called them simply epiphanies or sudden insights, but they're very clear. Every bit as clear as anything that I brought through. So I'm not the only person who's bringing through clear messages. Yeah. What, do you? I know there's a lot of people who say that some people feel as if they've created almost like a hierarchy of the insights and epiphanies, like there's their guides or there's their higher self or there's, you know, maybe God's up there. And would you say that all of that is God or is there like a very distinct thing that is separate from kind of those other things that people will often say are God? I would, I would say it's all God and that there's no separation. Yes. Okay. The, the idea that uh, that we're separate somehow or another from God, to say nothing of being separate from each other, is the idea that's really causing us to live the lives of struggle uh, and conflict uh, that we're living on this planet. So I think that they're all God, but they're all manifestations of God. We, we can call a certain manifestation guardian angel, if it, if it pleases you to call it that, okay. You can call it, you know, your guides, whatever, you know, whatever it pleases you to call it, but a rose by any other name is still a rose. And God by any other name is still God. 
call it a guardian angel, calling it, you know, call it a guide, call it whatever you want. What are some ways people can show discernment that they are listening to God and not listening to say, you know, a schizophrenic violent voice or something? What are some key features of God speaking? God only speaks and only shares messages of freedom, joy, and love. If the message that you're receiving, however you imagine yourself to be receiving it, is a message of freedom, joy, and love, it's if, if, if it's expansive and enlarges you, uh, then it's a message from the divine. If it's a message of fear or a message that reduces you or causes you stress or worry, uh, or even in any way to feel less than who you really are, then it's obviously a message from another source, from your mind or from something you read or something you saw in a movie somewhere or, or from some any one of a million other sources with which we are assailed increasingly these days, more than we were when I was a young man, uh, by, the, by the media and by the internet. We have more messages coming to us now than I ever imagined when I was 25 years old. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So God Talk is your 40th book, right? It's your yes. it's your 40th book. And I want to I'll ask a question about that in a moment, but I'm I'm curious since 19, you know, since since you first published in 1995 until now, um coming up on 30 years, right? If I'm doing that right in, in my head. Yes. Um what has been the kind of consistent feedback that you've gotten from people about your work? It's it's been ninety percent, maybe ninety-five percent positive. People saying, if I've heard one comment more than any other single comment, it's this writing changed my life. This this writing changed my life. So that's the the, the comment that I hear more often than any other single comment, other than thank you. I hear that a lot as well. So uh, that's been the reaction from the largest number of people. Now, there's a small percentage of people, 8 or 10% of the people who vehemently disagree with the messages that I received, plus the idea that I even received a message from God. And they tell me, and that's fair, that's okay. I don't need anyone to, to agree with me. So if someone disagrees and they send me an email or drop me a note or or send me you know, a, a, a text or whatever that's, that says, I don't I, I think you're out of your mind. I don't I don't agree with what you're saying. I tell them, thank you for thank you for sharing your point of view about that. I have no need for anyone to agree with anything that I have said. And I appreciate anyone who shares their point of view. I think that we can agree to disagree agreeably. And if we could all do that, we could change the world virtually overnight. Yes. Yes. I, I kept thinking haters are going to hate, right? <laughs> Oftentimes, you know, until in they this... don't, until yeah. they don't anymore. Until, until they until don't anymore. Yeah. Until and unless we can encourage them to listen to the messages we've received from the divine yeah. all through the years. For thousands of years, we've gotten the same message. But I do understand how people could be confused. Anna was uh, talking about, you know, the Torah. It's a frightening book. A certain, I mean, certain passages of the Torah and of the Bible and other and of other uh, you know sacred scriptures are frightening because they talk about a God who actually kills people or or encourages human beings to kill other people. If you if you if you were to take a, a Bible with both the Old and New Testament as one book with a calculator in your hand and punch in the number every time the, the book suggests that God says we should be uh, ending the lives of certain people. You will add, I'm not making this up, you can do this with a calculator. You know, you'll wind up realizing that God has told us to kill more than a million people. Wow. For various for various reasons. And God has told us as well in the, in the New Testament, in the Torah, in, in many other 
sacred books that we're if we don't do certain things in a certain way that we're going to hell mm -hmm. for eternity now we're our lifetime relative to eternity imagine imagine eternal life and, and one person's life would be a sliver of eternal life even if you live to be 80 or 90 or 100 years old compared to eternity that's that's a sliver of time but we we are told to believe in a god who says that what you did that was inappropriate during the sliver of time you were here you'll be punished for for all eternity and and so so religion has used fear as a means of encouraging particular and certain behaviors we were we were even told we, we shouldn't have certain foods if you eat this it's not okay it's got to be unless it's of course kosher but if it's not kosher you're in trouble Right. Or if you were, or if you, were, when I was a, a practicing Roman Catholic, I was told as a Catholic child, you could couldn't eat meat on Fridays. Mm -hmm. So it, it was a sin. Yeah. And even today, members of certain religions are told that they have to wear certain kinds of clothing, or if they don't wear a certain piece of clothing, they will be sent to everlasting damnation when they die so you better have a veil over your head and over your face i mean if you're a woman a man of course <clears throat> we are the superior gender of the species so it doesn't matter what we do but if you're a woman you better cover your face and cover your hair mm -hmm. because we're not allowed we're not allowed to see all that because it's too tempting we can't we don't know what to do we can't we can't control ourselves so in order to be not tempted by you know by all of that you have to wear certain clothing mm. you have to cover your face and cover your hair it's and by the way this is not a small matter i'm not making fun of this god says that this is the way you're supposed to behave and if you don't you will suffer the consequence mm -hmm. so this is the kind of god we've been told to believe in if you know what i was told let me let me tell you one more story I was nine years old. I was in the third grade. And the priest came into our Catholic school to teach us what was called catechism, which is the doctrine and the dogma of the Roman Catholic Church. So the priest is telling us on this particular Wednesday afternoon, his lesson is the difference between mortal sin and venial sin, which are two kinds of sin that are talked about in the Catholic faith. Mortal sin is supposed to be a really major, major offense, you know, a big deal. And we were told by the priest that if we commit a mortal sin and it's not been forgiven by a priest before we die, if we die with a mortal sin on your soul, you will, in fact, go straight to hell. No questions asked. If it's a, what's called a venial sin, kind of a you know, spiritual misdemeanor, then you go to purgatory. And I, I said to, you know, to the priest, Father, what's the difference between purgatory and hell? He said, well, purgatory is like hell, only it's not forever. I've had a couple of marriages like that, but that's another story. So, so, uh, but, but now, now I said, Father, can you tell me, well, give me an example of a mortal sin? You know, he's teaching the class. We're all nine, nine, eight, and nine year old kids. He said, certainly. I'm expecting him to say, you know, murdering someone or stealing someone's life savings or whatever it might be. He says, it's a mortal sin if you miss Mass on Sunday without a good excuse. My heart sank. Wow. A wow. mortal sin that you are sent to hell forever if you miss mass on Sunday. He said, "Well, well, you, if you have, if you have a good excuse, now don't not children, don't 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 go too far with this. I mean, if you have to care for a sick parent, or if you're an adult and you have to work on Sunday to support your family, fair enough. But if you just decide, well, I just I'll take a go play golf this Sunday, or you just have no no excuse, you just decide not to go to church." That's a mortal sin. Wow. And if you don't if you don't confess it before you die, if you die with that sin on your soul, of course the Catholic Church allows you to go to confession and then the priest you know pronounces absolution and you are absolved of the offense. But if you have not been forgiven by a priest before you die, 
And I even raised my hand because I'm nine years old. You know how nine-year-olds think. I'm trying to figure out there must be a there must be something I don't understand here. I said, Father, what if you're what if you're on your way to confession? Like it's Saturday, and you're on your way to the church to go to confession, and you get hit by a car. You know, and the priest said, I'm sorry, son. If you die with that sin on your soul, you will be going to hell. Now, as it happened, it was that week that I didn't go to church that Sunday. Almost every Sunday in my life, I went to church. But that particular Sunday, we had a playground softball, you know, kind of like the World Series of softball in our city on our playground. And the, the, the kids on the team were saying, "Come on, Neil, you got to be on the team. The game starts at ten o'clock. It'll be over in time. You can go to you can go to eleven o'clock service." But of course, with my luck, the game went into extra innings, and I couldn't leave the the the, the, the baseball field, so I missed the mass. Now the priest is telling me three days later on Wednesday that if I if I don't go to confession and get that sin uh, you know confessed and absolved, forgiven, I'll go straight to hell. Yeah. I, that was nine, an expensive baseball game. At nine years old, I'm really taking this seriously. I smile about it now, you know, with the wisdom of an adult, but at nine years old, I can remember saying my evening prayers practically in tears. Because the, we only had confession once a week in our parish. It was usually Saturday afternoon from, from 1 to 4. It wasn't like every day. You couldn't go to confession whenever the hell you wanted to. So the priest would schedule it from 1 o'clock till 4 on Saturday afternoon. So this is Wednesday. I'm being told this. i got to go through three days without even a chance of being forgiven. I'm saying my prayers at night. Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. If I should die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. I'm scared out of my mind that I'm going to go straight to hell because I played baseball on Sunday instead of going to church. Yeah. Well, I made it to confession. Mm -hmm. I'm sorry. Oh, I said it sounds like religious trauma. Yeah, it's exactly right. And it's not just the Catholic Church, but so many of our faith traditions use fear to fill the temple, to fill the church, to fill the mosque, to fill the pews. Fill the pews with fear. You better show up or you're in deep trouble. Mm -hmm. What kind of a God are we told to believe in who would send us to hell? everlastingly because we have not worshipped him but but you have to worship him in the right way by the way so of course you know i hate to tell you anna but even though you, you may not be a practicing jew now but i have to tell you that jews are not going to heaven there are no jews that go to heaven nor are there buddhists who go to heaven nor are there hindus who go to heaven only Christians get to go to heaven. This is what I was told. Mm -hmm. you got to have the right passport. It doesn't matter how kind you are, how generous you are as a person, how forgiving you are, how compassionate you are. It doesn't even matter how loving you are. If you belong to the wrong religion, you're going to hell. You think I'm making this up? Ask any fundamentalist Christian, they'll tell you exactly what I'm saying right oh, now. I know, I've heard it. I've heard it. <laughs> yeah. I, I once had a conversation with someone and we got to that and she and, and I said, so you've been friends with me this whole time and you think I'm going to hell? And she's like, yeah, <laughs> no problem well, with it. It's like, well, George Bernard Shaw said, it's okay with me, all the interesting people are there anyway. <laughs> it's true. It's true. Yes. If you were to think about the trajectory of your life, if you hadn't written that letter to who you are today, what do you think the other Neil Donald Walsh would be doing right now? Oh God, I can't, I can't even imagine. I I don't I don't know, but but I I don't I don't think he would be nearly as consciously aware of his effect and his impact on other people, whatever he was doing. It's not that what I was doing for a living was, was not okay. I mean, I was a radio talk show host. 
And before that, I was a managing editor of a local newspaper. I was gamely employed, so to speak. I had, I, uh, as a member of the working press, and, and you know, so I wasn't, it's not like I was robbing banks, you know, or or doing something horrible like being a lawyer. No, just kidding for all you lawyers out there. <laughs> but but in, in any event, uh, so it's not about my occupation and what would I be doing, but what would I be being? Yeah, how that's, would I be, yeah. You know, how would I be moving through life? I probably wouldn't be as aware of my impact on other people. And I probably wouldn't be there for as kind, as caring, as compassionate, and as forgiving as I find myself being today. In God Talk, you talk a lot about how we should be talking to God. And you talk about the six steps, I believe it is. Yeah, not how we should be talking to God, but how we're invited we're to you, be. We're invited to be, yes. You know, you. I, I wouldn't say, don't, don't, don't should on yourself. <laughs> <laughs> yes, my, yeah. I was always told that it doesn't exist as a word. You can just be much better off if it doesn't exist. So yes, that we are invited to talk to God. Yes, we are invited to talk to God. In fact, we're talking to God all the time. It's not a question to, to, of, of who's talking to God, nor is it a question of who is God talking to. It's a question of who's listening. You say, I think it's step three is willingness. What are ways that people can be more willing to listen? By setting aside all the reasons that they have had in the past not to be willing. You understand that it's, uh, our, uh, here we go again, I hate to be religion bashing, but the fact is, it's just simply true that our religions have told us, most of our religions tell us, that if we claim that God is talking directly to and through us, we're committing blasphemy. It's called apostasy, it's called heresy. It's an ecclesiastical sin. It's an offense against God, religions tell us, most of our religions tell us. That we're not supposed to declare that God is speaking through me and to me, I mean individually. So that's called blasphemy. If I walk down the street and say, God said to me this morning, etc., 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 in certain countries, I will be held accountable for having committed an ecclesiastical sin. So we have to be willing to discard what our culture has told us. Our culture in most of the world's countries has told us that, no, 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 God doesn't. Come on, come on. God doesn't talk to people like you. Maybe, maybe the God talks to the Pope. Maybe. The Pope is considered to be infallible or the Archbishop of Canterbury, or the Chief Ulama, or the Head Rabbi. I mean, you got to have some credentials, some credentials. But God doesn't talk to, you know, the first baseman for the New York Yankees. Come on. Stop it. So, so what we have to do is be willing to set aside our culture's hesitancy, would be putting it mildly, to believe that God talks directly to us, to set aside our culture's objections to the very idea. And that's what willingness is about. We have to be willing to receive the messages of God in spite of the fact that we've been told by every one of our cultural sources that such a thing does not happen. And if you insist that it's happening, we're going to have to send you to that seventh floor of the, of the hospital the psychiatric ward. Yeah. Yeah. Your experience, what is what is your relationship in terms of your communication with God today look like as opposed to what it looked like back in 1995? It's the same. Yeah. I, I simply talk to God. You know, most people talk to God. Most people say, oh, God, you know, what's going on here? Or, God, give me an answer. Or, God, you know, people talk to God all the time. So, they, as I said earlier, they just call it something else. They don't want to yes. admit it out loud. 
But my my reaction and my experience of that uh, conversation is no different today than it was thirty years ago. Is it does it mostly come through writing, or do you hear it in your head, or do you just feel it? A thousand different ways, uh, yeah. Christina. God is talking to all of us in a thousand different ways across a million moments in hundreds of lifetimes. It could be words. It could be a vision. It could be, you know, um, a feeling, just simply a feeling that comes over me about something. It could be something as interesting as just a fragrance. It could even just be a fragrance of something. So, so the, God will speak to us in a in a many, many, many different ways across all the moments of our life, not just in words. Did you did your dreams change when you started talking to God more? I think so. I think they became more meaningful. I don't think I had too many more or too many of my old types of dreams. Uh, I just had dreams that seemed to be more meaningful. So with God Talk as the 40th book, what do you, what do you feel is like, what what is like kind of the main message of God talk as with as this book as opposed to um, any of the ones before since you obviously are very prolific in wondrous the, ways. <laughs> the main message is in in my view that uh, we can all have direct communication. I mean back yes. and forth communication, not just yes. one way communication. Everyone yes. agrees that we can all pray to God, but not everyone agrees that God talks back to us. So the message of the book is that we can all have two-way communication with the divine. Yeah. And that and the, there are several steps that one can take. You mentioned earlier, the book includes six steps mm -hmm. that I recommend that people could, uh, could embark on as a means of having that experience. The step, steps are one possibility. We have to agree that it's possible to even have a conversation with God. Number two, worthiness. We have to agree uh, with life that we are worthy to be among those who is having a conversation with God. You know what's interesting about this, uh, guys? Most of the human race agrees that God has talked to human beings. You know, we, we were told that God talked directly to Moses and gave Moses the Ten Commandments. And everyone agrees. No one says, no, God didn't talk to Moses. Almost everyone agrees with that story that, yeah, God probably did reveal some important information to Moses. People have heard that God talked to and through a person named Jesus, and billions of people believe that. People believe that God has talked to and through a person named Muhammad, and people believe that. In fact, men and women through the centuries have been listed as messengers from the divine. So no one doubts that God talks to human beings every so often. We might say it's rare, but we agree that it does happen. Yeah. So step number two is worthiness. Am I as worthy as Moses to receive a communication directly from the divine? So once I say yes to that question, God says, ah, oh, wonderful. Now you know who you really are. Then that third step is willingness, which we talked about a moment ago, being willing to overcome everyone else's hesitancy and objection to our claiming we're having a conversation with God. Step number four is wakefulness, to be awake. Don't let the conversations go in one ear and out the other, or or pass you by, and you don't even you don't even know, uh, you know what's going on, you know. It could be the words on the billboard, the next corner you turn on the highway. And there is an eight-word message on the billboard that directs its attention specifically to something you've been worried about. And you think, look at that. Look at that billboard. That's exactly what I was trying to figure out. Or it could be the lyrics of the next song you hear on the radio. Or the chance utterance of a, of a, of a conversation you overhear in a coffee shop. It's, it comes to you in so many different ways. That's what I was saying earlier. So you got to be stay awake, stay awake. I mean, it could be, God forbid, it could be listening to a podcast run by two crazy women who think they know what they're doing, and they put a podcast on the radio, you know, on the on the internet, and, it, and maybe you're listening to this crazy podcast, and you go, wow, 
God does talk to us in a thousand ways across a million moments. God is talking to me right now, simply telling me, stay awake. I've never left you. Yeah. Step number five is acceptance, not to reject what we're hearing and say, oh, it's just coincidence. No, it's, it's, it's my imagination. Or try to try to dismiss it as not being what it actually is. So step five is acceptance, and step six is a word you used earlier, discernment, to be able to tell the difference between messages that are coming to life from the source of life itself and messages that are coming to us from another source. A crazy novel we read 20 years ago or a video game we're watching or some television program or, or, or whatever that's not really a clear, clean message from the source of pure love that I call God. So those are the six steps, and those steps are described in much greater detail in the book, God Talk. Mm -hmm. And this book is a little different than your other books, too. Most of the chapters are written by other people sharing their own personal stories. Yes. Well, the publisher of the book had an idea. She said, we want to make it clear that you're not the only one who's having this kind of experience. We want to make sure that readers see that it's not just about this one guy in Oregon who's had this experience. So they put a call out on the internet and they invited anyone who ever felt that they had an experience of divine intervention in their life to send them a story. And hundreds of stories poured into the offices of the uh, publishers. And they picked out seven or eight of the best stories and put them in the book to offer people proof it's not just Neil Donald Walsh. Here's a doctor, here's a lawyer, here's a housewife, here's an elementary school teacher. Here are other people, ordinary folks, who are having their own and are reporting to us what they have experienced as their own encounter with the divine, a direct intervention in their life. Mm -hmm. um, going back to... I don't remember which of the first three conversations with God books, but you asked God in one of the books about what about in moments of tragedy, like in the Holocaust, I think it was, you said, you know, how is that right or wrong? And God answered that in those moments before these horrendous, hor horrific deaths that people were given great peace. Do you, do you remember what I'm talking about? Yes, I'm not sure what the question is. Okay, well, I was wondering, that gave me like a lot of hope when we read the news and, and we hear about all these tragic things. Have you talked to God more about like in moments of humanitarian crisis or... Yes. God, I was told that no one dies at a time or in a way that is not of their choosing. Right. Mm. And, and, and I think you said, he said, or you said through him, him through you, that those last moments are peaceful, even if they don't look like it on the outside, something like that? Always, yes. She made it very clear to me. She said, Neil, Neil, sweetheart, no one dies at a time or in a way that is not of their choosing. Death is a beautiful, peaceful, serene, actually joyful experience. That doesn't argue for ending one's own life but it does make it clear that, and that when we leave this physical body, the soul will be joyful for sure. And then it will return, reincarnate in another body, at another time, in another place, to continue the experience of its own evolution. <laughs> That's a relief, especially watching the news today. Yeah. It's it's not just a relief watching the news. It's a relief just watching your grandma die. Mm -hmm. You know, my, my mom, God bless her. She, of course, she had no idea I'd ever write a book like this, but I remember the time that she died. I, I wasn't blessed enough to be there with her when she actually died but I was there just an hour or two before she died 
in the intensive care ward of the hospital. And she was very, very ill, gravely ill. Everyone knew she was dying. And I was trying to comfort her. And she looked at me. She said, oh, sweetheart, sweetheart, don't worry about me. She said, I'm going home to God. It's okay. But promise me, take care of your father. Even in her final moments on the earth, her concern was for the man she married. Her concern was for someone else and not for herself. Don't worry about me. And then she said, I want you to make me a promise. She said, sweetheart, don't cry. Take those tears out of your eyes. Make me a promise. Of course, I said, anything, mom, anything, anything. What can I promise you? She said, it's on my grave. Dance on my grave. I never forgot that promise. And I did. I flew to Wisconsin halfway across the country. She died, you know, far away from me. But I flew halfway across the country to the cemetery where she was interred. And I literally did a tap dance on her grave because I promised her that I would in celebration of that what I then knew that she knew before she was leaving. So we celebrated together her reunion with the divine. That's, so That's the kind of mother I had. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> That's wonderful. Thank you. So I hope my kids will do the same. And I know one thing. I've told all of my children and my wife and everybody who's close to me that I want, want four words on my gravestone. When I die, I want four words etched in concrete on my gravestone. So when people visit my gravesite, they will see those four words on my headstone. What are they? Now that was fun. <laughs> <laughs> oh, absolutely. Oh, amen. Whatever word. Validating <laughs> word. <laughs> Can you imagine somebody visiting a gravesite and seeing that on somebody's headstone? Mm -hmm. Now that was fun. If that doesn't bring a smile to their face and have them skipping out of that cemetery, I don't know what would. <laughs> yeah. If you're going to leave a message, leave the truth. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. Oh. Yeah. Well, we are coming to the end of our time. So is there, are there any final words from you, from God, from anybody that you'd like to share with our listeners today? Thank you so much for your time and presence. Well, I've, I've often been asked, Neil, of all the messages in the 3,000 pages across nine books, of dialogue with God, what's the single most important message? I've been asked that a lot. But apparently you're not going to ask me. So well, we can, well, we yeah, can, we can end the program. The program is now over. Thank you very much for being here. Goodbye, everybody. Yeah. Bye for Bye. now. Bye. Bye-bye. No. Bye-bye. No, 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 please. <laughs> please. Sorry, I thought I had asked the question. <laughs> it's my excuse. Yeah. Yeah. What is it? Please tell us. God said to me, sweetheart, your life is not about you. It's about everyone whose life you touch and the way in which you touch it. Yet when you understand that, you will know, you will come to a place of awareness of the largest truth of life which is that in a universal sense, your life is about you. When you decide that it's about everyone whose life you touch, because, Neil, there's only one of us in the room. There's only one of us in the room. We are all one. All things are one thing, and there is only one thing that is 
if you remember that, then you will understand why I have said to you through other messengers, each in their own way. Love, love, love your enemies. And pray for those who persecute you. And be good to those who would do you evil. And when a man slaps you on the right cheek, turn and offer him your left. And when a man asks you for your coat, give him your shirt as well. And when a man demands that you walk one mile with him, go with him twain. And raise not your fist to heaven and curse the darkness not, but be a light unto the darkness that you might know who you really are and that all those whose lives you touch might know who they really are as well. I could, of course, be wrong about all of that. I don't think so. Thank you, Neil. Sounds, sounds good to us. <laughs> we are the same. Mm -hmm. Thank you so much. Thank for you. Your time. And your book did change my life. I, I mean, it, it really did. So thank you for that. Yeah. yeah. I'm glad to hear that. It's very sweet of you to share that with me. And I'm humbly grateful for having been given the opportunity to play that kind of a role in the lives of people. Blessed be. Thank you. Thank you. You can find more information on Neil Donald Walsh at his website, www.neildonaldwalsh.com. And you can get God Talks wherever books are sold. And remember, humility, gratitude, acceptance, done. Let me tell you all a riddle. There are four girls and four apples in a basket. Every girl takes an apple, yet one apple remains in the basket. How is this possible? The answer, one girl took the basket. She took the last apple while it was in the basket. Sometimes all it takes is a perspective shift. This is my specialty, y'all, and I am opening up two spots in the next two months for dedicated journeyers to work with me to find peace, purpose, and most importantly, perspective. In these journeys, we co-create a curriculum that suits your current blocks, goals, and needs, and we use all the tools, shadow work, books, fiction, remote viewing, intuition, meditation, guided journeys, energy healing, dreaming techniques, you name it, we do it, and all to achieve a commonly held set of objectives. And if you're interested in hearing more, Book a free call with me at www.chriswilty.com forward slash discover.